You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is a social entrepreneur and attorney who focuses on startup companies, nonprofit organizations, and arts and entertainment law issues. Creative Confidential starts now. We are joined today by the current chair of the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts and the founder of ArtsQuest, Jeff Parks. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Brian. We may start a law firm after this thing, after this whole thing's over, Parks and Tuck or, or something like that. But uh, you've had such a, an impact, I mean, not only on the Lehigh Valley and Bethlehem specifically, uh, but obviously you're, you're taking a, a bit of a larger role now. Um, you were named the chairperson for the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts recently, uh, this interview is taking place one day after uh, National Arts Advocacy Day, but um, I wondered if, if you could talk a little bit about the overarching goals of the council, and then we can we can go from there. Well, sure. Let me start out with saying that uh, my advocacy is is for the arts as an important part of society, and. Uh, an area that's truly undervalued in terms of what it contributes both to the community and the economy. And on, on that little platform, uh, I've been promoted uh, to a, a position where I have some opportunity for advocacy for the arts. The uh, Pennsylvania Council on the Arts is uh, one of 50, or 51, I guess, uh, arts councils uh, created through the National Endowment for the Arts. In Pennsylvania, it happens to be under the governor's office as an independent uh, council uh, with all appointees appointed by the governor and approved by the state senate. The council is was created in 1966 when the National Endowment for the Arts was created to take advantage of the funding being provided by the federal government. In addition, those funds are matched in every state or jurisdiction by uh, the state legislatures. Uh, today, Pennsylvania ranks 23 on the scale of states that uh, support uh, the, the Arts Council in terms of per capita spending. Number one in the country is Minnesota at over $7 per resident. And uh, Pennsylvania is uh, down around a dollar. I think it's 75 cents now. Our neighboring states all have higher numbers except for West Virginia. So Ohio, uh, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland uh, are all up there. And in fact, Delaware and Maryland are number two and number three in terms of their per capita support for the arts. The uh, money that's uh, brought in by the state legislature, there's only two forms of funding for these arts councils. Mm -hmm. It's the state legislature and the National Endowment for the Arts. The philosophy that's used in Pennsylvania is that our uh, goal, our desire is to make sure that every Pennsylvanian has access to the arts. And that goal is fulfilled primarily by supporting both artists and arts organizations throughout the state. Uh, the state offers a, uh, the state arts council offers several different types of grants, uh, but the biggest number is devoted to uh, it's called uh, arts uh, organizations and uh, arts programs. These are primarily programs that have been in existence for more than five years, and uh, can demonstrate that they are active, that they are operational, and that they're serving the community or the greater community. Uh, there's also, and they, they receive about $6 million a year. And again, these uh, grants are all done through uh, panels and formulas and so on. But there's other opportunities. We have a, an arts and education program uh, that is uh, 
widely operated through area our regional groups uh, in the Lehigh Valley. That's the Allentown Art Museum. Uh, so this places artists into schools through grants that are given out uh, mm-hmm. in the region. And uh, we also have the um, uh, kind of a beginner's program that's also done uh, throughout the state and in, in various locations in the Lehigh Valley. Again, it's the Lehigh Valley Arts Council that this gives these grants. So it's kind of a, both for artists and, and beginning organizations an opportunity to be funded at, at grants of up to $2,500. That's a that's a, a broad view of it. Uh, mm-hmm. The Pennsylvania Council on the Arts actually funds over eighteen hundred organizations throughout the Commonwealth. Well, it's it's certainly the reason the arts fascinate me so much is that it does they do represent sort of this nexus of public policy, you know, create creativity, obviously, public policy, government, the business community. And, you know, community engagement, all in one subject matter, it has all these different facets to it. So, you know, with respect to the council, um, what is the, you, you know, if there are two or one or two or three overarching goals of the next, you know, the next year or the next couple of years, uh, budgetary pressures aside, and and we won't even <laughs> we'll we'll steer clear of the uh, the congressional uh, the federal budget issues, which uh, are, that's a whole separate conversation. But you know, what are those overarching goals as far as you're concerned? At this point, we want to make sure that as as much as possible, the distribution of these funds is fair. Fair can be defined in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are areas where we want to kind of research and determine whether they're being served as well as they could possibly be. Pennsylvania has, if depending on what numbers you look at, either the largest or the third largest rural population in the United States. At 3.7 million of our 13 million residents are, are live in rural communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, their access to the arts is certainly not as uh, vibrant as somebody who lives in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Allentown, etc. So uh, we are actually taking a look at that uh, with the Pennsylvania Rural Center, which is a legislative established body that does research on the rural communities. It's important to the Commonwealth that these uh, rural communities uh, are, are survive and, 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 and thrive in the so-called knowledge-based economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the things we're looking at. Uh, we are, uh, we have had for many years a diverse cultures program uh, that works with uh, African Americans, Native Americans, uh, and other uh, so-called minority groups uh, to make sure that their cultures are preserved and well represented uh, in the in the Commonwealth. As a Pennsylvania Dutchman, I'm sorry to say that the Pennsylvania Dutch culture isn't being preserved and doesn't count in that group. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, uh, we are working very hard to make sure that, that, uh, that these cultures are, are well represented and people who have, have these cultures uh, have the arts that is important to their community. So how long, what is your plan? Just personally, your plan is to remain on the council. Do you, do you have a five-year plan for yourself or, you know, some people kind of block these things out and, well, I'm going to spend this amount of energy on this issue and then I have some other large-scale projects I want to tackle and, and, and may move on. What's, what's your plan uh, with respect to the near future and the council? 
Council members serve at the pleasure of the governor, mm-hmm. and uh, the terms technically are three years. Uh, so there's no uh, no no specific plan for me or any member of the council. My my goal was to give back uh, for uh, a funding stream that had certainly supported uh, the organization that I was involved with, ArtsQuest, for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've ever run an arts organization, and I know you're on the board of at least one, um, a, the, the philosophy of the council to provide a steady stream of funding, provided that you're doing the services, is very unique uh, and is greatly appreciated, especially when you're in the first five to ten years of, of startup mode. Mm-hmm. But even for, yep. if you call legacy organizations, many of which are having financial challenges in this environment. Uh, a, cons- a supportive stream of funding allows you to branch out to do the things that you need to do, or is maybe just the funding that keeps the doors open and the lights on so that you can do the programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I have no agenda beyond that other than to make sure that we're doing it in as fair a way as possible. Um, I do have a, a platform, if you will, personally, and my personal platform, of course, is that uh, the arts contribute to economic development in ways that were not envisioned even 15, 20 years ago. Um, I just spoke with the uh, woman who runs a regional agency here in the Lehigh Valley. Our biggest challenge in the Lehigh Valley, if you're listening from outside the area, you have no idea what the Lehigh Valley is because it's (laughs) not on a map anywhere. Right. Um, And Billy Joel did the branding for Allentown about 30 years ago now, and uh, that's conveniently unforgotten. Right. And people are still then out of shape uh, locally about that. Exactly. So uh, the, the biggest question for our businesses locally is recruiting the talent that they need to Mm -hmm. operate uh, their businesses. And it is a huge challenge. There's a new nonprofit that's been created uh, to work with uh, both our colleges, our healthcare institutions, and our major businesses in uh, introducing candidates for uh, jobs uh, to the community, letting them know what's available here. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a chat with uh, uh, Donna Cornelius, who runs this agency, just a couple days ago, and she said that 80% of the people uh, responding to surveys as they come for their initial visit and, and figure out whether this is a location that they want to come to, who have never been here before, mm-hmm. um, one of the major things that they're interested in is what's the what's what are the arts here? What are the robust arts culture is here? Can I go to art cinema? Can I see dance? Uh, can my kids get uh, arts activities and education? Mm-hmm. And so, with what we've done collectively as an arts community in the region, we are now really in a in a, in a way uh, competitive with larger uh, metropolitan communities because of what we are now able to offer. That part of the arts is not recognized as a value. Uh, arts are generally put into uh, quality of life budgets, but of, of say counties or cities or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those are the first things that get cut when uh, right. times are tough. So I don't think that people truly understand that if you're looking for an economic development vehicle, which was essentially my career. I was never really an arts guy. I was much more a He guy. says modestly. I was much more interested in the in the power <laughs> of the arts to, to convene community and to create economic value. And that's exactly what I think has happened over the past several years. Well, and, and it's very tough to put any kind of dollar figure on when someone has that hypothetical conversation, why should I move to Columbus, Ohio or Milwaukee or, or wherever it is uh, to follow a job in particular? You know, you look at schools, you look at public safety, 
and then and then you look to see what is there to do mm-hmm. you know and if right. if you know i think quite often that has a significant impact on people's decisions of where to where to relocate or if you're a younger person um so for those listening that don't know where we are the lehigh valley is is right in between new york and philly we're about an hour west of manhattan and about an hour uh, northwest of Philadelphia. So there are a lot of large cities right nearby where if you graduate from college, you know, there are seemingly greener pastures where we have an issue with with sort of the rain drain of how do we keep, uh, you know, young grads here to be the next generation of leaders, etc. So um, it's almost impossible, I think, to quantify what a robust arts landscape really means in that context. I don't, I mean, I don't know if anyone has cracked that problem. Well, it's, yet. it's, it's the same issue as, as uh, putting a dollar value on um, social capital, which is the interaction of people uh, among each other in, in today's mm-hmm. uh, handheld uh, iPhone world. Uh, right. it, the social interaction is primarily digital, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the, the arts convene people uh, and uh, people of various economic means, pe- people of uh, various social categories, um, class, color, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience, uh, and it's a deep experience in this, is that the arts can convene people in a way that, that no other thing can. Uh, and you'll get people of all races, religions, and, and economic strata, uh, for instance, at our main festival, which is called Music Fest, that mm-hmm. brings a, a million people together. Um, and you'll see the CEO of a Fortune 500 company in, in his flip-flops with his family, uh, along with everybody else. Uh, this, is, uh, this, to me, is a lesson that we need to learn about the value of the arts uh, and how, if they're accessible, they can truly bring a community together. Uh, the the whole economic thing is just not uh, there's no way that the social sciences have figured out or the businesses have figured out that they uh, right. can quantify this. But at the end of the day, um, my experience also is that businesses will support the arts for that specific reason in that they are supporting their recruitment efforts to bring people to a community. Right. And that's if you can tie your event or your you know whether it's whether it's a, a a museum or a live event you know if you can tie that thing to that thought process then it, you should have an easier time i mean i always tell um b- people that i'm talking to wh- whether they're trying to start up a soft you know a small software business or um manufacturing company or something like that you know there's sort of this spectrum of you know all startups are hard I think, first of all, if, if just to get out of the first couple years and survive in any industry is not for everybody. Um, if you were building a better mousetrap, whatever that device is, and it hits, you can scale up and build a million units and you're in good shape. Uh, if you're going into the restaurant business, that's a lot trickier of a proposition. If And then further over on the spectrum in terms of getting you know, from relatively easier to relatively more difficult, starting up a nonprofit organization is very difficult to just get it off the ground, to get board members that want to be engaged, to get out of your first couple business cycles in one piece. Um, 
And then all the way over, you know, where the needle sort of goes all the way over into the red, I think, is starting a nonprofit in the art space because it's you have so many forces working against you competitively and in terms of perception, in terms of trying to convince people why is this a good investment, whether it's uh, 1984 Bethlehem and, and Music Fest is being born or whether it's present day with any other project. Um, and you wonder... Or at least in my own case, I wonder what am, what was I thinking? Why am I putting myself <laughs> through this uh, this uh, torture? So, um, I mean, we sort of glossed over Music Fest and and your role in that. I mean, what it has become as a ten day festival that draws a million people in ten days. Let's rewind back to the beginning, if if you don't mind a little bit, because I've always been curious about you know, the, the kernel of the idea, like it, it came from somewhere, but I've never been able to sort of get to, to that story. Could you tell us a little bit about how it started? I'll scoop my book here. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, a friend of mine calls me an editor, a life editor. So, um, by 1983, you know, this is a flashback. Mm -hmm. Unemployment rate in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is 13%. Mm -hmm. uh, steel mill is dying. Steel company, headquartered in Bethlehem, second largest steel company in the world, is dying. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I had visited Oktoberfest in Germany in 1976, and friends of ours lived in Milwaukee, so we visited Son of Oktoberfest, which is Summerfest in Milwaukee. Okay. And we happen to live in a community that has the largest collection of 18th century colonial uh, era Germanic style buildings in the country. So I come up with this idea, let's do a Germanic themed uh, music festival, but keep contemporary music in it as well. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of like the orchestra on the Titanic, you know. Uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty much viewed yeah. that way by, yeah. by city council. Is, is this going to bring back the jobs that we're losing with the steel plant, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what is this really going to do? Um, and it was a really tough sell back then saying that this is, uh, first of all, a benefit to tourism and there is a tourism opportunity. This was in August and August in Bethlehem in 1983 when we were starting to propose this. That was the time when everybody went to the Jersey Shore or to the Poconos. Uh, you could shoot a cannon down the little main street in Bethlehem and not hit a single shop. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know. Well, and also at that time, nationally, um, you know, this is the first Reagan administration. We're coming out of that that recession uh, from the seventy nine eighty time period. Uh, consumer sentiment's probably not very good still at that point. And right. you you were the first one. It was sort of the proverbial blue ocean strategy. You were the first one into the space. I as I understand it, there was nothing else like it in the region at the time you proposed it. No. No, there was no, well, again, and, and uh, you know, talk about a business model, um, starting a free music festival, no gated admission music festival. Um, you should really rethink that if you're thinking about it right now. <laughs> right. There's, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it, was, uh, it was really 
geared towards uh, stabilizing the downtown, first of all, which is why it was free and why it was downtown. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can go to, to Coachella or whatever today, uh, many of the great music festivals, South by Southwest, um, and be out on a field or a desert or whatever and see a lot of great shows. Uh, mm -hmm. There are very few places like Music Fest where you can be strolling around three centuries worth of buildings and uh, a beautiful little creek and so on, and, and today in the middle of a steel plant, uh, and, and, and attending a festival. So this was, a, this was kind of an odd idea, frankly, at the time, uh, and still is, I, I think. Uh, there aren't a lot of free festivals in, in downtowns because they're logistically very difficult, mm -hmm. and right. uh, there's, it's difficult to make money. So, you know, the, the, the um, city council, you know, there, there was a lot of things that were going on at that point. And um, the mayor's, uh, Mayor Marcinson at the time, his businessman administrator said, you're going to lose a fortune on this. It's going to bankrupt the city. Don't do it. <laughs> and uh, the mayor's uh, administrative assistant, who was the wife of the Moravian minister uh, at Central Moravian Church, said, this town needs something. You better support this kid. And the rest, I guess, is history. The first festival was uh, an event that, and I mean this sincerely when I say it convened the community. The first festival was nothing like it is today. Today, Music Fest, if you want to hear shows that are uh, that somebody found at South by Southwest, which is where we go to hunt for stuff or sure. Coachella or whatever, um, you can see them for free and you can come to Music Fest and do that. It's a big event. Mm -hmm. uh, but back then it was folk music and, uh, and some classical music and uh, some old Moravian music. And it was literally a bootstrap operation that we put together together. Uh, but what it did was bring the community to this downtown that had pretty much been restored over the last 20 years. And they had never seen it. It was We had very few out-of-town people the first year. That wasn't going to happen for several years. Right. But the community was brought together and it gave them like a, a feeling that, well, you know, maybe the town isn't going to die. Maybe there's something that can happen. And I, I believe that that's really what pulled the community together as we move forward and Obviously, the, the history of the organization uh, created two cultural campuses and several more festivals. And uh, today, ArtsQuest, uh, last year, 2016, the, uh, the events and activities and programs that ArtsQuest does, which are about 2,000 a year, uh, brought $22 million worth of publicity, basically. Uh, Six billion impressions uh, throughout the, the country uh, and the world. So this is, a, this is an incredible branding uh, activity for the community as well. Yeah. And that's what I think is also important, that the community's brand is not exclusively Gritty City and the Rust Belt anymore. Uh, the community's brand is all about the arts and music, uh, which historically was true for the community as well. And that's, I think, the power of the arts. Uh, the opportunity for artists in a community like that is that you've got an organization that will foster an art, a musician from... The beginning of it, their career, give them uh, uh, live performance opportunities at, at free locations that the public can access, foster them through the process of getting paid at festivals like Music Fest, and uh, giving them exposure. And we've now got a fairly robust music scene in, in, in the region, mm -hmm. uh, and many people have gotten their their start uh, or through and their exposure through that one festival through Music Fest. Well, it's it can't be overstated how just absolutely massive an undertaking 
it is. And w- when Cassie Hilgert, who is the current CEO, your successor, mm-hmm. um, the current ArtsQuest CEO was was here uh, about six or seven months ago. Um, you know, she had she had said that they're you know they have to marshal about two thousand volunteers to make the event work in the way that it does. I'm might have been a little bit more than two thousand, but um, so its footprint in terms of personnel and logistics. I mean, I, I've I've seen this world a little bit for a couple of years now with an event that I run. Um, so I have a window into how extraordinary uh, a, a journey this has been for for music fest and um i just don't think people realize how hard it is to achieve even to even to to start an event and have it be alive five years later mm-hmm. i think well and, I, and with your and with the lifespan of music fest you're in year 35 34 I 34 think. now yeah <laughs> i mean you've gone through you know it's lived long enough that it's seen two or three recessions mm-hmm. all kinds of economic pressures that may depress turnout weather risk because it's a lot of it's outdoors and yet here we are you know still still going strong well again i go back to the community i think that the the basis for any any arts endeavor that you want to be successful I always say we didn't start an avocado festival in Bethlehem. Uh, avocados don't grow in Bethlehem. Right. We started a music festival, which started back in 1741 when the Moravians moved here. I mean, we had a history and heritage of music. So, and the community grew that heritage through it through its uh, through its lifetime with Eastern European music and and cl- uh, cl- classical music and church music, the Bach choir, and so on. Um, I think that artists who are looking to be successful in any endeavor uh, need to understand their community and need to understand how to uh, uh, perform or adapt to that community. Uh, Our organization is really all about uh, encouraging the careers of visual and performing artists and people who want to cross boundaries and create new art forms and, and all of that. But uh, it's, it takes a great deal of effort. It doesn't happen. It's like anything else. Uh, you know, you're never an overnight success until at least 15 years down the road. So uh, you got to practice, practice, practice. Uh, and I think that that's uh, uh, difficult for, for a lot of artists. You know, I was thinking about that this morning that, um, you know, it's, what was Jackson Pollock thinking when he was spreading those dots all over the place? And how did that become a successful career? Uh, it, it's very difficult, and if you don't want to paint, um, you know, landscapes, and you want to do Jackson Pollock's type type of work, mm-hmm. um, don't assume that it's going to be an overnight success. That's a tougher sell nowadays. Now that we're in year ten of American Idol and all these other shows, where people think just by merely being discovered and having some raw ability, you know, all of a sudden they get put. So you win American Idol. Or whatever. I, this is how out of it I am. I, is that still on the air? I think it is. No, I don't think so. <laughs> is it out? Is it off? But but America's Got Talent or yeah. X Factor or any of these where, you know, the winner all of a sudden overnight is thrust into this spotlight. They're on a tour. You know, they're performing left and right where they haven't put in those, you know, 10,000 hours if you're a Malcolm Gladwell uh disciple or, you know, in the classic example of the Beatles, you know, coming over to the, to the States 
and being an overnight sensation. Well, they were playing eight shows a week in Germany for years and years and years. And they were a finely tuned machine when they came to Shea Stadium or, or the Ed Sullivan show. So, right, right. so it's tougher now, I think, to get younger people in particular to understand that concept that you just described where it's a long arc to be to becoming a master at what you're doing instead of a very talented apprentice i guess if that makes any sense well if if your passion is whatever art form you're doing then do it i mean it's a long life if you're not enjoying your passion if you have to figure out a way to eat that's a separate issue so you know there's a lot of very talented people in Los Angeles waiting tables. Right. And that's not trait. That's really true. Uh, but if if that's important to you, and, and frankly, you know, uh, as you're familiar, I gave up a law career to do my passion, which was economic development through the arts. And, and I never looked back, never regretted it for a second, uh, because it was, um, I was passionate about this community, and I wanted to see it thrive as it was uh, experiencing a terrific problem with uh, deindustrialization. Did you come from a, a artistic family or a musical family? What was what what was the connection that you decided to choose economic development through the arts as your path? I did not. Uh, I I sang probably off key in the in the school choir for in high school, and that's my and I my dad tried to get me to play the trumpet when I was in between third and sixth grade when they actually taught music at the school district. Um, but I was terrible. So, no, I think that's one of the reasons. I think it's great for somebody like me who is not an artist. My art turned out to be in in bringing people together to, to support the arts. Uh, I appreciate visual and performing artists, good ones especially, good in my opinion, uh, because I can't do that. And I think that they deserve tremendous respect for, for what they bring to the table. Uh, I value that. And I think uh, the organization that I work for and the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts values that a lot. So you, so following your leadership of, of ArtsQuest and and the succession plan where, where Cassie Hilgert became CEO, you moved over to the ArtsQuest Foundation, which is a separate but related organization. It's and, it's separate. It's it, it's totally related and, and it totally integrates with ArtsQuest. The uh, foundation was designed to uh, financially support ArtsQuest in the long term. Uh, the uh, I always said that ArtsQuest is a three-legged stool financially, which is similar to many organizations. And our three-legged tool was uh, sponsorships or, or donations, but primarily that was through corporate uh, either gifts or uh, support for uh, in return for exposure. Uh, and that was always an important part of the structure at ArtsQuest, mm -hmm. more so than in many nonprofits. And we, we are... We were very successful over the years in getting a significant amount of business support. Uh, the second area was food and beverage. Uh, and again, unlike most nonprofits, we started with Music Fest, which you pretty much had to serve food and beverage, mm -hmm. read, read right. beer. Uh, and and that's, that earned a, a lot of money that supported that festival and ultimately supported the organization. 
Uh, and then the third is, is admission tickets, uh, which is uh, in most arts organizations, that's 60% of the revenue. Well, when you start with a free music festival, that was zero. Right. right. And we've gradually worked our way up on that one, but it's still nowhere near the uh, 60% level of all of our uh, costs or revenues. So the foundation was uh, set up for, to encourage uh, individual philanthropy. Since ArtsQuest now is, is almost 35 years old, uh, it's time to encourage people to consider ArtsQuest as a beneficiary uh, it, as they are doing planned gifts. Uh, mm -hmm, right. And also uh, we've, we've raised the number of individuals who uh, support us annually. We have over 2,800 or almost 2,800 members now. And uh, we have quite a few people who are supporting us in our what we call our ArtsQuest Circle, which is donors of $2,500 a year or more. Right. So uh, th this was the role that I wanted to in encourage uh, in my uh, semi-retirement. <laughs> I don't think you know how to slow down. I'm I'm just taking a guess, but uh, <laughs> well, so your law practice. I know we're kind of jumping back and forth, but um, you were a tax attorney by training, or did I? I did. I, I did small business and right. estate planning. And estate administration, of course. So that was my my role. I had drafted twenty five hundred wills. I had I represented close to a hundred small businesses uh, when I switched over to the good side, to the nonprofit side. <laughs> the good side, <laughs> using your powers for good, not for evil. No, no, no. I, I just I am being saying that tongue in cheek. I, uh, I, I mean, I think the impact that you've had really can't be overstated because if you think back. You know, how many musical performers have come through the festival over those 35? I mean, you know, yeah. tens of thousands, right? And and everybody that's passed through the gates thus far. I mean, you really have created this um, institution. I can't think of another word to call it that really is going to continue on. It's, it's uh, an incredibly... Like I said, it's a, it's an incredibly massive achievement to do what you have done. So I mean, I just want to I want to thank you because you've given a roadmap to some other people, including me, of like, well, how you know how can I accomplish this for my own community? Let's say um, where I know it's possible. At least you know I may not know all the right things to do, but I know that the end result is that it is possible to achieve you know a certain kind of objective well just remember one of one of our previous mayors used to call me rod because i was the lightning rod for good and bad things um <laughs> well I, I i had the i had the distinct uh opportunity to be the leader of the pack but it took a cast of thousands uh right. literally to create what what's there today no doubt uh and uh, whether it was the businesses that supported it the volunteers that both led it and and staffed it uh it, it was just a whole lot of people who wanted the community to be successful and were engaged in this not even necessarily for the music as much as seeing how how well it served the community and how well it built the community so that that and and we've had visits throughout the years and still do from people from other communities who are looking at, at ways in which they can enhance their community and frankly i'm in the process of writing a book about 
this last 30 years. The book tour starts here. Yeah. This is, it starts this is the first right stop. now. <laughs> but but I, I think it's it's really important to say that this is not, never was a one-man show, that this is something that uh, everybody had no a hand doubt. in and made happen. Well, we are looking forward to the next 35 years of <laughs> Music Fest. And I, I can't thank you enough for, for stopping by. And, um, you know, really, we'll... We'll follow everything and support everything with great interest, you know, going forward. So, well, thank you, Brian, and I wish you good luck with your endeavors as well. Uh, it sounds like you've got some things going here in Allentown, and that's great. We're we're working hard. <laughs> I will say that. So, thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. To have Brian consult for your arts organization or to book Brian for public speaking engagements or personal coaching sessions, send an email to Brian at creativeconfidential.net. That's B-R-Y-A-N at creativeconfidential.net. To get future episodes automatically, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or visit us on the web at creativeconfidential.net. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. Steve Mittman, socialmedia.com. Steve Mittman, socialmedia.com.